Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we say goodbye to major events at Marvel, prepare for a major event at DC, fight the Iron Fist, and find out what makes the X-Men gold. Stay tuned for all this and more. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. I'm your host and junk rat main. David Luzader, and over there is the other host, and um, I don't know who you main in Overwatch these days. I mean, um, I guess my still most played character is D.Va, but uh, I definitely enjoy when I, uh, who's kind of my my alt that I like to uh, play with? been actually a while since i've played overwatch because someone never tells me when they're playing well because uh, i play at times that you're not available it's not well, my fault whose fault is that yours probably but i'd rather blame it on you that's fair um but besides diva i do like as like a safe bet i like soldier 76 i've been enjoying my time playing with reaper clearly i'm overthinking everything and that's the fine. obvious choices are yeah yeah that's fine uh and that is nick shermooksness who never once introduced himself in all of that rambling that was going on over there <laughs> uh speaking of rambling i just want to give the people of the show a fair warning that i possibly have a fever so I might be a little crazy in this episode. It could make for great podcasting, or you all could demand your money back, but it's too late. Uh, you didn't pay for this, and I got you sick via the internet radio waves. <laughs> uh, well, David, sorry you're not feeling well. However, that is not how it works when you're contagious. What? Um, but I'm glad that you're over there safely in Virginia in the quarantine zone, and I am up here. Did I tell and you I changed my name to Patient Zero? <laughs> just just to be safe. Just to be safe, yeah. Just so that, you know, paperwork, legalities, all that stuff. It's just so much easier if you just declare yourself the source of the outbreak so, like, future <laughs> historians don't have to, like, figure it out. Yeah, no, very, very generous of you. You know, really man of the people. No problem. <sighs> I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to lay down my life uh, for nobody. <laughs> I'm just well, kidding. I would die for my dog. You chose your dog before your wife? T- to be fair, most people would probably choose their dog over their significant other. I don't I don't think so. What's that? We want to start the news? You're absolutely right. Let's go ahead and get in on, on that. Our top story today. After a disappointing summer, Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. Our first story this evening, or this day, or whenever you're listening to this in the eternal darkness of the future because the sun has been blotted out by an evil madman. Marvel has claimed that they are not going to do any major events for at least 18 months after Secret Empire. Nick, do you believe them? Well, first, David... 
I just want to remind people that you did say that you would choose your dog over your wife. Um, just, I'm probably going to repeat that at the start of every segment, just a forewarning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's true. Um, but no, just kidding. Uh, but maybe not. Anyway, it, obviously Marvel is saying no more, quote unquote, major events for at least 18 months. That can be a little subjective as far as what they define as a major event. Right. That's exactly what I thought. Though they said um, they would not be doing any big crossover events. If it's no like Civil War slash Civil War Two or Secret Empire, which looks like it's being it's pretty expansive, or you know the Avengers versus X Men of the world that kind of engulf the entire line, that I totally get, totally respect. Um, but it's possible they could still have like, you know, here's this big Spider Man event, but now it engulfs every Spider Man t- title, or here's this um, X Men event that engulfs every X Men title. So it's like. To me, that would be still considered a major, you know, franchise event. So, is it no major line-wide event? Does it also include no major franchise events? Because they've basically broken up all their books. And like, here's the Avengers books, here's the X Men books, here's the Spider Man books, and also, I guess, here's the Inhumans books. Uh-huh. Um, so, what does it really mean? It will be very curious to see that what the landscape of Marvel looks like after the next 18 months. And I know when we get a little bit further into the show, we're going to discuss recent rumblings at Marvel in regards to why their line, at least in a fiscal sense, may be suffering. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marvel, how that... Marvel really seems to be kind of pumping the brakes on some things that uh, has been old hat for a while. You know, um, major events definitely being a big one. That's one thing that a lot of comic fans gripe about is it's impossible to get into a Marvel book because you read four issues and then you have to start reading and then it becomes, uh, you know, secret invasion, uh, Captain America. And it's like, well, if you were really enjoying that Captain America story, too bad. It's it's now involved in in this major line wide event, and you better know what's going on there or else uh, it's useless. Right. Some so there are some writers um, that are really good at rolling with the punches and find a way to incorporate the major, like the macro plot points of a line wet event into continuing on their own story threads. And then, you know, the book gets canceled right afterwards. But for those that don't get canceled right afterwards, you know, you can kind of not miss a step. Um, Obviously sometimes to the, you know, but it's, but it's like that fine line where it's like, they find a way to like use the event to their, in their favor. But then it's like, does it is it really reflective of the event, or they kind of just slapped the event name on the book, but went in a completely different direction? Right. So in that case, it's like why bother being a tie-in other than to potentially boost the sales of the book? Right. Which it's it's from a again from a fiscal standpoint, I know people gripe about it, but like if I was a writer and writing you know comics or writer or artist or or creator and writing and creating comics was my bread and butter and. The, you know, the difference between being able to continue my work or not continue my work is having to slap something on the cover. Uh-huh. Sure, I get the complaints, but, like, I'm not going to complain as the writer. Right. I remember when Damian Wayne, uh, when Damian Wayne died and all the Bat Family books in some capacity had these things on their cover that were like, this is like a Robin remembrance issue. And I, I picked up a couple of them and looked at them, and at most it was like a line of dialogue. Uh but really, it was just kind of whatever story was going on at the time, and they were just mm-hmm. trying to hope to grab some suckers like myself, who were like, "I really like Damian Wayne. I want to see people remembering him and like what he meant to Batgirl." 
Uh, but then it's like Batgirl uh, jumping across the rooftops, like, I know this job is dangerous. We recently lost one of our own, but like now I'm going to go do this other thing that's in my storyline. I'm not going to be really good for a little while until I reboot my costume. Uh, probably not word for word what was said in the comic, but like that's the gist of it. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, yeah, and I'm I'm okay with with no major events for a time um, from from Marvel. Part of the reason that I have such a hard time digging into more Marvel books, and I don't read that many, is because mm. of the stuff. Like I was reading uh, Rocket Raccoon book for a while, and as soon as that became a, a secret whatever two book with uh, uh, Dead Gwenpool, whatever her name is. On it, I'm like, I have no interest. These are this is this is a storyline I don't care about. I don't care about this character tagged on here to try and get me interested in that character to go buy that book. Like, I want to read this storyline that I was really enjoying before. It was very frustrating. Mm-hmm. So, Marvel, I, you can extend that past 18 months, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> or do one I, every 18 months. They do. They definitely need to slow the brakes on the major events because after so many times of world shattering, things will never be the same type of events that ultimately get, you know, especially if they don't get received well, they ended up just trying to roll back some of the changes within a few months after the book, mm-hmm. uh, after the event ends. And they definitely need to allow books to breathe and be their own stories because I feel like a lot of times the events from Marvel that I haven't enjoyed, there's a couple of them. I mean, I'm, I, I haven't really enjoyed a lot of Marvel's events. Um, that they've ever done, but the ones that I definitely felt have been particularly egregious were like the ones where they said that they, oh, well, I was planning this story as part of my just the, the ongoing story in my book, but Marvel saw merit in it and wanted to blow it up into a big event, and suddenly you're making sure that you're not stepping on anyone else's um, storylines and that you're that you're telling this event that now you're like you have to make sure all your scripts are in on time, that the R is being rushed, and like I think, um, um the Avengers and X-Men access event that Rick Remender did. I particularly think that Rick Remender is a fantastic writer. It was not his best showing. You can just tell, and you can tell from generally how he feels, especially about corporate comics now, um, or whatever, whatever they call them, that he, you know, that he, he probably wasn't his most passionate trying to get that event out. Cause it took a story that probably like where some of his, some of his more concentrated work, like uncanny X-Force probably would have been like a really well, thought thought not that it wasn't well thought out just the way it was executed kind of fell apart and i think it was because it went from being something that probably would have been fine as a a really well constructed like six issue story to like uh i forget how long that event was maybe eight issues i'd I'd have to double check so don't quote me but then you had all the different tie-ins and he was juggling a lot more characters than it was originally going to involve and just it fell apart so sometimes like some stories just don't need to be bigger. Like, you know, just market them. Just say like, this is going to be an important story for this title or for this franchise. Absolutely. But don't blow it into a limelight event. No, absolutely. Uh, but speaking of making things uh, bigger and better, Nick, what's our next news story? Uh, well, I don't know if this is about bigger and better, but it's definitely about taking something from one medium and transferring it to another. We have learned yeah, that sure. Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, who you might know as the creative forces behind such American classics as this is Super the, Bad. This is the end. Uh, and this is the end. The Pineapple interview. Express, right? Huh? I don't know. Pineapple Express? Well, I know that they, uh, Rogen and Goldberg uh, recently adapted Garth Ennis' Garth Steve Dillon's Preacher. Preacher. on AMC and they directed the films. This is the end and uh, the interview. I don't know. I think maybe Evan Goldberg did some of that stuff 
Um, I know they, they've written projects. I think right. like they both wrote the Green Hornet as well that yeah. Seth Rogen starred in, uh, which I have to be honest, I kind of enjoyed that movie. Um, and I'm not, I'm not afraid to, to, I'm not afraid to. Admit. I mean, it's directed by Michael Gondry, who's a fantastic director. Um, anyway, um, so yeah, anyway, they are uh, tasked with bringing Invincible, the Robert Kirkman, um, Corey Walker, and Ryan Otley property. Uh, comic uh, image comic to the big screen um wow okay unpacking this a bit yeah there's a lot here it's well in any situation like this obviously we've had character you know four as as some people like to call them the four color characters of comics adapted to a live action medium so obviously fantastical or cartoony elements of superheroes and such have been successfully translated to the main screen with some revisions and changes to make it more realistic or palatable to movie going audiences. Uh Invincible is definitely something. There's no reason why it can't work as a movie, but in my opinion, the the books and I'm not trying to be was reductive or here. I can't, I can't think of the term, but whatever. But my point is, is that, it almost feels like like I would totally watch an Invincible cartoon. There's something about yeah. it's the, both the Cory Walker art and the the Ryan Otley Otley art that have set such a and this way the the characters they they it's always been a book that sort of played with the existing tropes of superheroes. Yeah, I I I totally agree with you. I don't think you can't do an AMC series or a Netflix series based on Invincible uh, because the budget's not going to be there. Partially, I will talk about that when I talk about Iron Fist later. Um, but I think a cartoon would be a really great way. I know adult animation is kind of struggling right now because for a while you had uh, Adult Swim. But Adult Swim has really kind of become the place of weird stuff uh, outside of, like, adult animation. You know, I, I guess Samurai Jack is on there now, so that's that's a pretty good precedent for it. Uh, but I feel like most of the stuff I see on there is, like, too many cooks. Or, I mean, I know that's a few years old at this point. Uh, but... Everything that I've seen on there back when I still watched it was like, here's a really weird experimental show we're doing about a talking ass that's also a detective. <laughs> that's not a joke. Um, no, I, I know. Um, yeah. You sound like you have more to say. No, no, no. I, I, I agree with you that I would love to see it as a cartoon. I just don't know where it could end up at this time. Yeah, well, the thing is, obviously, they don't invest in cartoons. Like, you get, like, a lot of the DC site, DC animated ones, which uh, mileage may vary as far as what you feel about them, and not that the animation is bad, but they obviously are working on a shoestring budget comparatively or relatively. Uh, so with Invincible, like, I mean, it's not, it wouldn't be impossible. We've achieved some pretty amazing things. Like, to say something's unfilmable, like they've said in the past, like Watchmen's unfilmable or whatever, like, love it or hate it, like, they filmed it. They found a way. The problem is, is that a lot of these things, you know, and I would say that Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, based on their work and, you know, their, their counterculture is probably the wrong way. Like they've obviously ingratiated themselves in the Hollywood, you know, uh, community microcosm, whatever you want to call it. But they're not like they're not going to try and go out of their way to just pump out some by the numbers. Like we're going to throw a crap ton of the CGI budget at it. You know, and let that be like, you know, oh, this looks pretty, but the story sucks. Like, I think they're going to care about the story and the characters and adapt it to the best of their abilities. But a lot of movies don't get the budgets or utilize their budgets in a way where they can, say, pull something off like uh, Episode 7 of Star Wars 
where like yes there was definitely cgi elements into it and they did a fantastic job but there's also an emphasis that like something cgi just can't accomplish yet at least and you know i wouldn't necessarily want to see them interacting with just like all these super cgi characters like alan the alien or or anything like that a lot of the fight scenes they could accomplish i mean think of man of steel or like uh-huh. stuff in batman v superman maybe in a less dark oh closer well, to man of steel than batman v superman well, but yeah, and i don't, I don't want to go too much into invincible storyline but that that's a lot to unpack in a movie like i feel like we almost need a guaranteed three film deal out of this uh, and, and I know they're going to, you know, whatever they do in this first movie, they're going to set up for a sequel and for there to be more movies. Mm-hmm. But it, it's like, uh, this is a time where I might be a little bit okay with them adjusting things a little bit if they don't have that guarantee because the storyline of Invincible is so ongoing. Well, and I think if you go, if you go into it, Again, and I think this is probably true for any property that get, especially serialized properties that get adapted into movies. If you go into it hoping that it's going to follow the exact same threads as, as the comics, and that like that it has to be set up with a guarantee of a second film, like obviously if it if it's ultimately it doesn't matter if you set up for a sequel if the movie sucks right. or if it doesn't perform, because then it's you're never going to see it, so you're disappointed. So obviously they need to go into it with maybe the hope of making sequels, but also just making the best damn movie that they can. Yeah. In of itself, if it does well, then they can make another one. And I'm pretty, you can tell, well, again, without going too deep into the Invincible story, obviously I'm all the way caught up, uh, though I think I actually haven't read the latest issue. I have to correct that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm totally all the way caught up as well. No, you're not. You're a failure. You don't. Um, thanks, Dad. <laughs> um, but, I mean, they could definitely do like some, something, some, some variation of like the first 12 issues, like with some of the plot twists that happen in there, you know, like you think you're watching this coming of age, I guess it can still be coming of age, you know, story about a new teen superhero who's living in the shadow of his father. And then it becomes as it does in the comics, something else. And they can certainly tie a bow on it at the end. I love that. We're trying not to spoil this like 14 year old plot twist at this point. You know what? It's like spoiler alerts on spoiler right. alerts on for those that haven't read this one. I know you know enough of this to, to yeah, know this I, I part. Read, I read to this point. Um, so Mark Grayson, the hero invincible is following in his father's footsteps. Who's known as Omni man. He's basically the Superman of the world. He came right. there as like an ambassador from an alien world. Also like a Goku. Also like the book definitely uses certain dragon ball Z L or dragon oh, ball elements. Definitely. Um, but uh, actually, really closely to the plot line is definitely closer to like the Goku. Uh, I forget what they're called. Um, whatever his people are called. I don't. I don't. It's been a long time. <laughs> it's been so long. They start with uh, anyway, v. his people. Um, so basically, he thinks that he's living under there, like just being a protector for the planet and yada yada yada. But then Mark Grayson finds out that his dad is actually there on a mission to conquer the planet, um, and ends up obviously going against his father to protect his home world. And it obviously the story just goes completely crazy from there. It's a fantastic series. Um, but they could definitely do a first movie, you know, about a, a son trying to look up to his father and emulate him and live in his shadow only for his father to betray him for all this chaos and carnage and stuff to occur. And mm-hmm. then to have to step into his own and be his own hero. And certainly it can be like he defeats his father or his father gets in prison or I guess it's defeating him or his father flies off. You know, I, you can do that. There, there's a way 
to make it be to not close off other stories, but also tell a nice self-contained like two-hour movie. Yeah, no, I agree. And I'm sure as more comes out, such as casting news or any set photo or anything like that, uh, we will talk about it here. But for right now, we're going to talk about something that's going on over at DC, and that is that we now know, uh, I know we talked about this in the last episode we did, uh, about Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's next big DC event that's been teased. Um, with the, what was it? The, the lead-in is called Forge. The, uh, the lead-in is... Crap, we did talk about that yeah, last I think, time, didn't I think, we? I think it's called Forge. Anyway... Well, there's the, there's two names. There's two like one shots or miniseries or something right. like that. One was the Forge. One was something else. Um, and I think, but I think they were called Dark Knights, the Forge, Dark Knights, right. something else. Well, and that is leading into Dark Knight, Dark Knights. So Dark N I G H T S, not with a K. Uh, Dark Knights Metal, a DC wide event. Uh, and we got some details from Scott Snyder in some tweets about what's going on. Uh, he said that metal is literally me and creators who are like family to me trying to celebrate the DCU in brand new off-the-wall ways. Uh, and to be super clear, metal is a DC-wide event. The next promo, so so far we've seen Batman. Next promo is Superman, or it's Wonder Woman, then Superman. It's not a Bat Family book, it's Justice League Plus. Uh, Bat Family plays a role, so does Green Arrow, So as do the Teen Titans, as does Mera, and so on. Uh and he also kind of gave some insight on uh, some other stuff. He said that it's going to run for six issues uh, without guest creators. So it's going to be entirely Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo working on this story. And he says that you will have never had to have read a DC book before. That it's page one friendly, which is pretty bold. Yeah, they, they see those things for a lot. I'll believe it when I see it. And unfortunately, even if I see it, it'll be hard for me to separate the fact that I've been reading comics for like 20 years versus yeah. that if I was to hand it to someone. You know what? Maybe that's what I'll do. We'll come back here when the first issue comes out. We'll read it. We'll find someone who has that does not read comics or is not familiar with current stuff from DC I Comics. I love this idea. And have them read it and get their – maybe even get them on the show if we can. I got, yeah, or at least like – at least, like, record their thoughts. Uh, I'm going to write Exactly. Write I think that would be really cool um, to do. Um, but, yeah, you've obviously been – not to say that I haven't been – well, okay, I've been hot and cold. But uh, I definitely can always appreciate good Greg Pula artwork. Um, but, uh, David, what are your feelings on this overall? It's really cool to get the band back together. I'm excited to see Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo back in that sandbox they seem to enjoy playing in so very much. Mm -hmm. uh, they Obviously, they didn't leave on bad terms. They gave the character a nice little uh, send-off when they were done. Uh, they did a lot of crazy stuff. You know, you had, you had Jim Bat in that time. You They had the introduction of the Court of Owls. They had the whole uh, faceless Joker storyline. You know, some... Not everything was a hit, but mm -hmm. I would say that there was more good than bad in the run. And so I'm very excited to have these guys uh, back on the reins and see, you know, now they've had a break, what else they've been cooking up. Back on the reins. Uh, yeah, anyway. Um, oh, you know what? I'm kind of inserting this new story here because I just this, remembered it. What? But did you what? get the first look at Black Lightning? Oh yeah, yeah. I meant to, I meant to throw this one in there. Yeah. Uh, so CW's Black Lightning, uh, the first promo image came out of Chris Williams, who will be playing Jefferson Pierce, yeah, better looks, known as Black Lightning. Looks pretty and it good. will be on the CW, but and I'm sure this will change 
in five seconds, but supposedly it's not going to be tying in with the other CW superhero shows, which is just like that's gonna change. Remember when you know, Supergirl? Gonna, remember when Supergirl wasn't was on a completely different network and yeah. still found a way to and tie they in. Still got it, even while it was on the other network. Yeah, I no, get, Black Lightning will totally be crossing. Well, over. I get why because they it, it they say it is a story. Well, uh, the. The setup for the story is that as a retired superhero whose daughter gets involved, and so he gets back into superheroing because of that. So I get why they're wanting to say there weren't any established heroes in the Flaroverse, as it's called now. Um, it's, it's a stupid Flaro. name. But, Flaroverse. But, I mean, they're, you know, they've already set the precedent of alternate universes, so this is just going to be an alternate universe that they will eventually the flash will cross over with you know if anything we should call it the super flaro i think people do call it the super flaro verse actually super flaro verse of tomorrow allegedly lightning verse super flaro verse of tomorrow super yeah we better write that down as a flaro as what did you call it super flaro verse of tomorrow verse of tomorrow excellent yep that is, um that's i always title. love when we find a show title in the show so do i that usually means that we get to go to bed earlier ha 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 i never sleep <laughs> we won this time um <laughs> take that insomnia yeah i don't i haven't looked too deeply into the uh, jumping back to the, the the dark knight metal event uh it's also night is spelled with an n not with a k I in this that. case um Apparently, it's gonna have it's tie like it's a Batman centric event, but apparently, it, it also involves the resurrection of Hawkman, who literally died maybe a month ago. <laughs> well, uh, they literally had a book called "The Death of Hawkman." You know, you know what's gonna be back in the summer. You know what's gonna be even crazier is that it also involves the resurrection of Wolverine. I don't even <laughs> I don't even know how they're managing that one. <laughs> the first cross company. No nope. cross first company whatever um can't run with it wolverine's still dead um let's just double check on that is wolverine <laughs> still dead dot com and yes he is perfect uh in our final oh, david any more thoughts on dark knight metal nope cool uh disney parks is planning a marvel themed lands which i didn't think was news because i thought that they've been trying to establish some sort of marvel type theme parks for a while well I know part of the issue has been that the Universal Parks still have rights to, oh right, um, still have rights to Marvel as far as as that goes. And I, uh, I don't think, uh, yeah, sorry, and I'm trying to lead to this article real quick. They don't say anything really about that. I don't think that is going to end. I don't know how long that contract is for, um, but I think it does well for both Marvel and uh, Universal, so they're probably happy with that. We already know that Guardians of the Galaxy is getting a ride, taking over the Tower of Terror, which is very disappointing for me, because I very much enjoy the Tower of Terror. Never did it, but um, I've heard good things about it. The The ride will be largely the same, I imagine. When it comes to a theme park, it's interesting because... You hate fun? No, no, I love theme parks, but... um... You know, obviously, it's like like say when like Dark Horse had the Star Wars license, and right. then Disney acquired Star Wars and Marvel, and was like, let's have Marvel create our Star Wars comics. It, I mean, from people might miss that's not Dark Horse, but it makes sense. Also, the transference of that license is pretty easy overall, from comparatively from Dark Horse to Marvel. With theme parks, 
you know, again, you have the use of Universal Studios where, you know, Marvel Land or whatever it's called. Um, Island of Adventure, is that what it is? Uh, I believe it is at the Island of Adventure, yes. Okay. Um, and what am I trying to say? Oh, you know, with, um, with Universal Studios, like, it's, it's a theme park. Like, it's all, like, it's these giant behemoth constructions of these rides, like, obviously compared to like a comic book license where comic books don't make that much money again, comparatively with these rides, they obviously rake in probably millions of dollars every year. Um, so the, you know, to, to take that away, I'm not like, I, I haven't been to Universal Studios. I haven't been to any of the Disney theme parks personally, but, uh, I can imagine that the unit, like the, the Island of Adventure is probably a pretty, pretty big draw for Universal Studios. And not only like, like to lose that contract doesn't just mean like, Oh, you lose a contract here. You can build your own Marvel theme parks. It also means that they have to take down their Marvel theme park, the right. cost of deconstructing it and also losing well, out on it's, future. It's, so, so I, I recently was there. I mean, not recently, um, within Ten the last, years ago, I with, was there. within the last year I was there. So it's not like it is, it's, it's not insignificant. And I know they just recently in the last couple of years updated the costumes, uh, for the people walking around. So yeah, like they do still input, you know, that is still PR for Marvel. They want to, they want to keep the stuff there looking good. Um, well, but I, I mean, Marvel in a sense, it's really gone to Disney and universal Marvel, whether the theme park is under Disney or under universal is going to win either way. Their characters right. are. No, no, no. Yeah. But I think one thing, kind of the benefit to leaving it at Universal. Well, one, they have Harry Potter. That is the main draw. People come from London just to go to Harry Potter World. They don't go to the rest That's of the park. Universal? That's Universal, yeah. yeah. That's the Wizarding World of Harry Potter is there. People from all over the world will go there. They will not go to the rest of the park. They will just go to the Harry Potter stuff. And yeah, we spent a significant amount of time there when we were there, but I could not have spent all day in Diagon Alley or Hogsmeade. I would have gone crazy. Uh, I will say that one thing that they've got going for them at Universal in the um, in the uh, superhero area, I don't remember what it's called at this point, uh, but they have like the Hulk coaster, which is bananas. I nearly lost my glasses while on that ride. Uh, it was terrifying. Um so that's that's going really great for them, and they also have a really fun Spider-Man ride. Uh, that's that what I, I've heard. That I enjoy quite a bit. That uh, we ended up riding a, a number of times, um, and they have they have a couple other little rides there. Uh, one thing I think that Marvel or that Disney does differently is that their rides are a little bit more like uh, experiences. You know, they it's very popular now for rides to have stories. There's some reason before you get on the ride. Uh, that you need to get in this cart and go on this crazy course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think and Universal is doing it more so now where you're in like this 3D sort of experience. And I, and I But Disney's always kind of done that, I felt like. Uh, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean is just you kind of in this enclosed space. Space Mountain, enclosed space. Like Disney doesn't have a lot of like outdoor roller coasters where that's still like a thing at Universal. Get what I'm saying? They have, they have like they have some stuff there in the in the superhero section that I think does set them apart and is is a big enough draw. I don't see it going away. Um, and if so, I you know Universal, I'm sure they could fill it with uh, with Skull Island or something. <laughs> Maybe yeah. Well, they already have um, a, they already have a Kong ride, so they need to update. Oh, do they? they need to badly update their Jurassic 
Park stuff. It's so old. And with Jurassic World out, man, get on that. That's all I'm saying. Uh, anyway, we want you to write in and let us know what rides you want to see at the new Disney Marvel theme parks. Uh, and, you know, if you could give us a description, that'd be super great. Sorry, my fever brain made me forget that I was talking for half a second. So why don't we hop into some reviews? To the Batmobile. Let's go. Nick, why don't you go ahead and do your review while I remember what it's like to be a person. <laughs> well, while David is uh, reconstructing his uh, sense of being, uh, I'm going to discuss kind of a double whammy review of X-Men Gold number one and the Royals number one. X-Men Gold being, if you haven't guessed yet, the new flagship X-Men book, and the Royals being the new Inhumans uh, flagship book, both coming out on the heels of the Inhumans versus X uh, <laughs> Inhumans versus X Humans versus uh, probably should be called the X Humans at this point, just to be fair, but uh, Inhumans versus X-Men. Um and in a way, they were both, they both, I had, I have great things to say about them, and I, I do have some grievances. Ultimately, I feel maybe potentially minor grievances, and I'll try to keep things light and fluffy because we know I tend to derail myself, and I'm terrible at reviewing stuff, and why am I even on a podcast where I review stuff? I don't know. Who knows? Whose idea was this? They <laughs> I'm should pretty be sure fired. it was yours. Um, anyway, I thought it'd be cool to kind of compare and contrast them to kind of see, you know, kind of where their current circumstances are. I'll start with the X-Men. So uh, a big push with the new X-Men books after they've been really in like over a decade of sort of dealing with um, basically the, their extinction or their almost extinction from the M-Day post House of M to um, the more recent, the Terrigen Cloud of the Inhumans being sick to mutants. They've kind of been on the defensive for a very long time, kind of dealing with some pretty heavy stuff that from a pers- from my perspective, from a writing standpoint, has been bungled probably more often than it's been successful um so marvel um is apparently trying to make a big push to bring x-men back and closer to what made them great in the first place which is following a template closer to the uh, chris claremont era of x-men where he basically redefined and defined really x-men forever um what this really means though is that there's a bigger emphasis on character relationships and just you know more being superheroes in a strange world that ultimately hates and fears them uh and while they're doing that the inhumans are off exploring space um right and it's honestly i mean i didn't i read like the first issue of of inhumans versus x-men i was like i can't um so i don't like know the intricacies of the of the event from a first-hand perspective but ultimately i can say that i don't think people really enjoyed the long-term conflict between x-men and inhumans so it's probably a good thing that while there are still inhumans present on on earth one there's not there's not not, there's no hmm? oh sorry you froze for a second but you're good Oh, okay. Um, there's no like new inhumans popping up, so it's not really about them taking the whole place about like mutants, you know, activating or whatever. Um, you know, and the, the the main inhuman cast, the royal family, is now kind of off the board doing their own thing. Uh, I, I think it's a welcome change, and I think it's a necessary change, especially if Marvel wants to trump X Men back up. Um, so anyway, what's cool about the X Men right now? 
Uh, some people might not think so, but I actually think it's a pretty inspired move to make Kitty Pride not only running the school, the new Xavier Institute, but also the new field team later. One, it really emphasizes that, like, while they're trying to harken back to, you know, classic X-Men tropes and tones and all that, that this that time has passed, that experiences have changed people, that they've gone through a lot. So the idea that the once former youngest X-Man, you know, um, you know, is now, you know, who was in, accepted into the school by Professor X is now the new Professor X. I know when Bendis was writing the book, when she was kind of like the caretaker of the time displaced X-Men, they called her like Professor K and stuff. So I think it's been bubbling for a while, but this is where it's finally like, she's the one sitting in, I guess, Xavier's office, filling out the, all the, you know, heading the school, filling out, doing all the paperwork and then leading the team into conflict. Um, what, what really kind of, solidified it for me was there was this really touching moment where she reflects to herself i survived the experience and for those that don't know the very first cover in which kitty pride uh, appeared said welcome to the x-men kitty pride i hope you su- or hope you survive the experience or something like that so it was a really nice throwback to that moment where like she survived the experience she's now running the x-men you know for however long it lasts i don't know x-men leadership tends to change hands quite a bit um but you know i think if done well marvel not just done well because never mind but if marvel if marvel really plays their cards right i think it's a welcome addition to the x-men canon right um What's not cool is there's some questionable status quo changes. The Xavier Institute is now located in the heart or in some part of Central Park in the heart of New York City, Mm. let alone that, I mean, really the Avengers shouldn't be based there. Like no super team would be welcome into New York, nor I could ever see them being able to actually, which is, again, this might be that suspension of disbelief that you have to like kind of accept. Um I guess you can even think it's one thing for the Avengers to have a base there because they're not constantly maligned by the public, that like they do see them as public defenders and heroes and stuff. The X-Men are generally considered outcasts and freaks and, and, and just terrorists or evil. And here they are completely situated in the heart of Central Park, which only is going to invite danger and chaos and property damage. Um, so really, there's just, it just it's, I, from a thematic standpoint, I get why they put it there. Um, but it just, it, it's again, in a comic with people that move through walls and have metal skin and, and claws and shit like that. Like it's, it's funny that the, it's these things that like shouldn't work, wouldn't work legally or realistically that throw me out of the comic. Um, though they do touch on it slightly. One thing to note is that Mark Guggenheim has a lot of experience. I, I think he actually is a lawyer, has a background as a lawyer, but has written like on shows that like that heavily involve, um, lawyer, mechanics characters and stuff um also mark guggenheim being the showrunner of arrow by the way um is writing the book oh i should mention that x-men gold is written by mark guggenheim drawn by Artie and saif uh, also with inclusions by jay listing frank martin and Corey petite um and so there's your creative team um so there, there is a scene in the book where uh, Kitty gets a- approached by a lawyer who hands her a thing, basically saying like, "Oh, da da da!" Like we agreed to have you here again. Doesn't make sense, but apparently the the mayor of New York City, in probably a career killing move, said to to allow the X Men to move into Central Park, um, but he gave her a bill for eighteen million dollars for having real estate in New York City in Central Park. 
Um, so that, that kind of works. It'd be interesting to see how they write off the fact that $18 million, even for a school with probably some millionaires and billionaires, is not chump change, especially when they have, you know, ex-Jets and shit to play with, you know, to purchase. So that was kind of weird. Also, the team that she has around her, she's got Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, Old Man Logan, and now known as Prestige, but you might know her as Rachel Summers, um, who's the time-displaced future child of Scott Summers and Jean Grey. <sighs> yeah. Um, you know, what's what's good about it in a way is that it makes sense from I'm Kitty Pride. I'm now running things. This is my main field team. Who would I have around me? Uh, I don't like I'm not as well versed in classic X-Men history, but I know what little I know is that for all the characters on the team, she has um, close ties to in some way, some kind of relationship with the exception, maybe being old man Logan, because he's not technically the same Wolverine that she bonded with. Um, and that's another thing that always kind of makes me feel weird is that like, yes, I get that he's Wolverine. He's not like out to stab anyone uh, on the team. So like, sure. Accepting him and beat, you know, and, and, and call him one of your own. But they, the way that he gets written is like, he's super like, he, it's more like, yes, they might play nice with him, but the fact that he's like so chummy and comfortable with it, that he just basically is Wolverine. It's like, okay, just bring Wolverine back. Like maybe old man Logan's outstate is welcome. <laughs> um, well, honestly, in, in the grand scheme of things, kind of minor gripes. I, I was surprised that I, I actually really enjoyed the issue, and I'm definitely curious about where it's going to develop from here. They're ultimately coming into conflict with a new version of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Um, and how that plays out, I don't know. It's it's really that thing where like you're like it's, it's sometimes good to sort of retract and, and revisit what, what makes a particular story or character or franchise or whatever, like what really set it you know, to begin with, but then like, you don't want to play too much with the old tropes. You want to branch out and do something new. So ultimately I hope the book, you know, finds its pace and, and continues on. Um, so we'll see. I'm, I'm sure I'll check back in and I'll, because I've wasted a lot of time talking about the X-Men. I'll be very brief on the Royals. That was all about the X-Men. I'm was... so, I might have to cut you off, man. I might have to say that's it. I'm sorry. Well, the Royals went to space. And it was written by Al Ewing. Yeah. Wait, can I at least say the rest of the creative team? Uh, yeah, fine. You got like you've got like a minute to share thoughts on this book. The Royals number one by Al Ewing, John Boy Myers, Ryan Kennard, and Clayton Cowles features the royal family, including one non-royal traveling to space at the behest of Marvel Boy, the Grant Morrison created character, who's from an alternate universe, saying that the Inhumans apparently don't know about their actual secret origins and how they can find more Terrigen Mist, but he knows it from his alternate reality. So if things are similar to his reality, he's leading them on a mission to space to basically trace their roots back, find the Terrigen and save the in inhumanity at the same time uh apparently it's alluding to a future of five thousand years uh forward where they hint that one of these seven characters that are going off into space will die before they arrive back to earth stuff happens i have thoughts david's evil and won't let me talk about them Dude, so we've, we don't have a lot of time left in this show like we have other what? stuff to talk about uh, i don't know i mean I was enjoying myself, but it's fine, David. You're the boss. You make the rules. Tell me about Iron Fist, even though you're just going to be negative. All right. It's, uh, Nick, if I, if I let you talk about Royals, the rest of the show will be over. So I'm going to talk about Iron Fist now. And yes, I'm not going to be super positive on it because the show is just okay. Uh, I'm not going to get too much into 
plot details because Nick assures me he's going to watch it. How's Luke Cage going, buddy? Um, I'm like a few episodes away from finishing. Yeah, sure. Uh, anyway, since it's going to be a long time before Nick gets to the end of Iron Fist, I'll talk vaguely, but I'm sure any spoilers I accidentally drop, he will forget by the time he gets there. Uh, for those who don't know what the show is about, uh, Oliver Queen spends five years on an island, and when he returns, uh, he seeks to take back his company and take out crime in his company of star... Oh, sorry, sorry, I'm describing Arrow. Uh, this is a story where Danny Rand disappears for 15 years. Uh, and comes back and tries to get back into his company and fight crime. So it's really not terribly different at the outset. I just like those uh, comparisons. I think it's fun. Um, but yeah, Danny Rand, who spent 15 years in Kunlun, one of the seven cities of heaven, uh, became the immortal Iron Fist, the living weapon, protector of Kunlun, came to New York for reasons that aren't really explained for most of the show. I mean, it kind of comes up... But anytime anybody asks Danny, for a long time he just says, it's complicated. Guess what, guys? It's not complicated at all. He wants to find out who killed his parents. Spoiler alert, that happens before the show starts. Uh, and possibly get revenge. So, this deals a lot with the hand, as do other shows. And leading into the Defenders series, which will also deal with the hand uh, as the primary antagonist. I thought it did okay with them, though it introduced this whole idea that there are several factions of the Hand, uh, but apparently this group is very powerful across several different groups. Like, they have unlimited resources. Like, somebody claims, like, Madame Gao's people are, like, the rogue splinter of the Hand. Uh, I just, I, I don't know. It was a weird concept that I don't think needed to be introduced. I get why they did it storyline-wise, but I don't know if it necessarily worked. A lot of stuff in the storyline didn't necessarily work. It just kind of felt a little dragged on at times. Not as much as Luke Cage. I enjoyed Luke Cage, but that story was just... It went on way, way too much. But I think they could have compacted stuff quite a bit here, uh, and it would have been a lot better. The story definitely meanders, and I don't really feel connected to any of the characters. Uh, the only character that by the end I really, really liked was this guy Ward. And I'm not going to you know, go into Ward's story here, but it was compelling enough. Uh, most of the other characters change their mind from episode to episode. They say they're going to do one thing, they go to do it, and they're like, why would I do that? I'm angry at things. Uh, the character of Joy makes erratic, insane decisions throughout the entire show, and she is probably one of the worst examples of swinging characterization. Uh, her and Ward run uh, Rand Industries, and Ward says, hey, I've been thinking about getting out of the company. She's like, hey, I support you. You're my brother. That's cool. And then when like an opportunity comes for that to happen, she uh, cuts it off for him entirely and is like, no, we deserve to stay in this company. It makes absolutely no sense. Then she does crazy stuff at the end. Uh, about, and as everybody's heard, the fight scenes aren't great. The fight scenes are kind of sad. Um, Finn Jones is fine, uh, but he's no martial artist. And there's been interviews where he's admitted that I was learning choreography like 15 minutes before I had to be on set doing it. 
that's not enough time to get it, get comfortable, and do it competently. So the fight scenes can be really slow, uh, feel very staged, which obviously they are, um, but just don't feel like they have any stakes to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and about Danny Rand, he is an angry, moody protagonist, which seems to be most of what Marvel's trying to do with the Netflix series, and that's disappointing to me. We had, uh, you know, we had Matt Murdock as a moody, dark protagonist in Daredevil, but he's like struggling with is, is what I'm doing good. You know, his his whole struggle with the Catholic Church and his own guilt uh, really made that character interesting. Jessica Jones, she had past trauma uh, and just kind of a general sense of brokenness about her and trying to do the right thing despite feeling like a bad person, which was very interesting. Uh, Luke Cage, kind of the most boring one of the bunch uh, personality-wise. I never got a great sense of personality off of off of Luke Cage, and that's the writing, not the actor. The actor did a fine job with what they had. Um, but he was, you know, he's supposed to be the stone wall that punches things, and I guess I appreciate that. But by the time we get to Danny Rand, we've seen Moody and Angry, and he's just kind of Moody and Angry for, yeah, his parents were killed, but come on, man, it's been 15 years. Uh, you can start to process that stuff. It just that didn't the 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 personal struggle was just kind of frustrating. I wish that they would have had him be a little bit more lighthearted. I really think they could have, and it would have been a great benefit to the Marvel Netflix universe going on there. Uh. They also have Rosario Dawson running around in this show, and she's like, you're going to fight the hand? At one point, she goes with him to fight the hand, which makes no sense, because she's like, I have friends who have fought the hand, so why don't you call them? You know, the ones with super strength and superpowers that can actually do things? Not you, a girl who's been training for a few months? It's one one of those frustrating things that I I can... Did she actually fight them? Yeah, at one point, she's fighting with a member of the hand. Uh, Not like a ninja. There's no ninjas in this. Uh, but there, there may have been at a couple of points. Anyway, it's kind of that same frustration I had with Iron Man three, which is like, Hey, the president's been taken. Uh, this seems like a pretty big national security problem. Why doesn't like shield or Captain America get involved? Well, cause this is an Iron Man movie. Okay. So it's Iron a- Man. Wow. Right. Uh, oh, wait, wait, we're we talking about Iron Fist or are we talking about Iron no, Man? Iron Man three. Iron Man 3, I was saying. I was saying oh, this, it's like an Iron Man 3 problem where you they presented this plot that makes perfect sense for Captain America to do something about it, but no sign of Captain America for absolutely no reason other than it's an Iron Man movie. This movie sets up a plot that it's perfect for um, for Daredevil to show up and and be part of this, but he doesn't because this is an Iron Fist show. Uh, you, you would think that in these shows they'd have a little more flexibility with that, but nope. And, of course, they're still attempting to never name the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the characters in it. And uh, I still hate the name The Incident for the attack on New York and Avengers. Overall, thoughts on Iron Fist. It's fine. People, I th- it's like it's okay. I know that I'm saying like a lot of negative stuff because, really, there's not a lot that stands out about it. There's some really good acting. Uh, but I think the protagonist is weak. The enemy is weak. Uh, the second to last episode, if they had ended there, actually would have been a really high note. But I think they go on an episode too long, and that ending conflict, it's like it ends up being Danny Rand versus a gun, uh, and it's not that's not super compelling or interesting to me. Um, 
versus a gun. Hey, get out of my way. No, don't shoot. Well, no, like, like someone, like, I mean, slight spoiler alerts here, like, he gets shot in the hand, and like, oh, he can't use the iron fist, so this guy's beating him up. He's supposed to be one of the best martial artists in the world. His whole, he's a living weapon. Uh, they should have put Finn Jones on a mask. It would have been way more interesting because they could have gotten stuntmen in there. Anyway, like I said, nothing super compelling. I think uh, people on the internet went too far the other way when they saw that critics were going negative and were saying this is still so amazing. It's not. It's very middle of the road. Um, if if you're into those shows, like probably you've already watched it, great. But for, for my money, it's just – it's – you know, I I probably could have not watched it for several more months and would have felt fine. I will see. That's what I'm doing. Um, except it'll be several more years. But yes. um, the, so, I mean, I, I can't obviously speak to how well or how bad they executed it. I can at least say that in his origin, his origin is all about how, you know, he was in Kunlun for X number of years, probably about 15 as well, I think. Um, you know, does all that training, becomes their, you know, defender, their protector, their their Iron Fist, and instead of staying in Kunlun and accepting immortality, chooses to return to go back to um, back home in order to avenge his parents. So that sort of core like aspect of like being, See, you know, that he carried that no, anger with him through all of his training. And okay, so so I'm totally like I'm totally into that. But if they had leaned into that more in a sense of uh, like classic kung fu films and sort of made of like you killed my like my master sort of thing like that would have been I think better but instead he's just like going around being just really angry and mopey most of the time hmm. interesting David you've inspired me to watch it well uh, crap <laughs> um, no no that's fine alright so we're running low on time so we might go a little bit over uh, thanks to Nick trying to do two reviews and talking about one for 45 minutes. Okay. Uh, but we are going to yeah. talk a little bit about our discussion question before we wrap things up. Nerd rage! It's over 9,000! I really got to get a better bumper for that. Uh, our discussion question this week comes from... Well, it's not actually a question. It's more a topic. So... Marvel's VP of Sales, uh, whose name is currently is uh, David, David Gabriel, Gabriel, said in an interview, uh, obviously frustrated, that, well, the, the, the short version is people didn't want any more diversity, didn't want female characters. Marvel had a bit of a sales slump, and when being asked about that, David Gabriel came out and said, oh, it's because people don't want diversity or female characters anymore, that they've, they've turned up their nose at that. Um, and, uh, you know, I got some thoughts on that statement. Nick, what do you think, though, before I say anything else? Well, I'll try not to take up 45 minutes. I'd appreciate uh, it. And try to keep it, you know, pointed. Um, I can't, I can't speak to it. It's this kind of, it's, it's definitely like this, alchemic thing that there's so many different factors into why Marvel might be in a sales slump. Some people, you know, as we we're kind of talking about earlier in the show, we could the attribute events. it to the incessant events that they yeah. would do. Um, I'm sure there are people that dropped Marvel because of the fact that they had altered, you know, their core classic characters in favor of legacy characters or even women or people of color. Um, 
and you know again there's a there's a lot of factors um do i believe it can be very nebulous here i don't know it's okay so look at something like dc rebirth which i think people can't help but make that comparison right now dc it's almost like we forgot like how much shit dc got since the launch of the new 52 oh no i remember very well Yeah, you and I remember, but it's just like it almost feels like like Marvel's the new bad egg here. That you know they're not doing it right. They're not listening to the core fans. Blah 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 blah. And I do think that there's something important to listening to your base. But and and again, I'm kind of speaking kind of loosely here. I don't really know the numbers and all that. But when your base is basically middle aged white men, you know. And that, but there are people, more and more people coming in, whether it's they're coming in hot and fast or like it's just going to be that kind of, you know, long term goal. There are women coming in. There are people of color, of different religions, of different, you know, sexual orientations. And of course, they're going to want to be re- represented. I totally respect them for wanting to be represented. And I would certainly love to experience some of that representation through characters that reflect them. Cause in a indirect way, it also makes me feel like I have a better understanding of other you know, of reflection of the world around me, uh, even in superhero comics. Yeah. So, so sorry. Oh, sorry. You, you, you pause there. Uh, go ahead. Finish your thought. No, no, no. You go ahead. I can bounce off of you. Okay. It's, it really, it's, it's a very, it feels like a very reactive statement. Um, to, it feels a weird thing to blame on people. Like, well, you didn't want diversity. But that's also, like, sucks to be like, you need to like this book because it's a black character. Like, I'm all for diversity and, and all that, but at the same time, like, if I grew up with Tony Stark, and Tony Stark is my Iron Man, and then you get rid of Tony Stark and you put in Riri Williams, I'm going to feel bummed about that. This is a character I don't really know. And they also, for some of these characters, just, like, launched them in new titles. When, like, the classic method was Dick Grayson is going to be Robin for years, then he's going to become Nightwing, and then Nightwing, oh, he's got some popularity, so let's do a solo Nightwing book. You know, it was these characters would be introduced, they would build up a fan base, and then uh, that fan base would support them when they went to go do whatever solo adventure they are going to do. Where it feels like now, Marvel is just like, here's this new book, it's amazing, you better read it, uh... And I think it's also, like, you have books that are doing super well that are led by female characters. You have, like, The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. People really like that. Miss Marvel. People really like that. And I think Miss Marvel was a great example of, hey, you know, this name hasn't been used for a while. Why don't we use it to set up this cool new character who just happened to, like, do really, really well? And that is super But Miss Marvel is an example of a character... That, that you were just sort of not right, railing right, right. against. No, 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 but... no. And, and I get, I get what I'm saying. There. Like that, that was a brand new character. But like, again, um, I, you know that that is kind of the exception that proves the rule. You know, like that book was so good that people just like read it instantly, and it was so awesome. And like, I feel like they saw that and were like, okay, so let's just start doing that to like all the other type people. This is what people want because this book's really popular. It's like that's not like what people necessarily want i I don't know it's it is a difficult concept like sure some people have turned their nose up at the fact that marvel has changed all their favorite heroes um but i also do think like it it does kind of suck to just be like hey we're going to cast this character aside because we want to put in uh you know someone new and i don't know it's 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 difficult like i'm not and i I know like i'm coming off here sounding like i'm anti-diversity which like i'm totally not but i'm 
I'm anti ham fisting is what I should but, say. So, and I'm not saying that you're this person, but it brings a couple different points. One, okay, if you're upset that Iron Man has been replaced by, you know, Riri Williams, regardless of the fact if it's just because she's not Tony Stark or because, I mean, probably worse if it's simply because she is like a young black woman. There are some people that sh- yeah, <laughs> There's certainly some that people opinion. that feel that way, and I'm sorry, I have no respect for you. But <laughs> um, at the same time, regardless, even if he was being replaced by another white male, straight white male, I would say you have decades worth of Tony Stark stories that you can yeah. fall back on for maybe the six to 12 to 18 months that he might be off the board as sort of his iconic self. Right. Right. You know what I mean? That's, and that's where with these changes there definitely, and well, I can see from a court base that they might feel burned or weary when you have things like that happen in the 90, where a lot of stories, you know, really weren't, they did. It was kind of, in a way, it was the first time they were doing it. So they, they kind of did it. They were chasing the money, but they just like shout out stories to yeah. a certain extent. Um, kind of like the whole clone saga that went from someone that could have been a really cool, concentrated story to a sprawling mess. Right. And, and that, uh, Sorry. No, no. I, I'm not wanting to step over you. Sorry. But we, we, keep going. Keep going. No, no. I, also, I was, I was just kind of finished it up. So, so I can understand a weariness there. But in hindsight, and obviously – and obviously you can't satisfy everyone. So I love superior Spider-Man. I love that they changed it up because I've read so many Peter Parker, regular Peter Parker, Spider-Man stories that it was refreshing. And that when Peter did come back, right. it was nice to have him back after a while. So, but it was, but it was still Peter Parker in like a strange way. Yeah, sure. But also like, uh, but I, I, I don't, I don't think that Spider-Man is a super great example because Spider-Man before superior Spider-Man had like three books, uh, you know, there was Spectacular, there was Amazing, there was Ordinary Spider-Man. I don't remember what else there was. Uh, like, there was just so much going on. Like, yeah, that th- there was probably a little bit of burnout on Spider-Man. And let's, like, let's go have a little bit of a break. Uh, where I feel like that popularity doesn't exist for all these characters that have been replaced. And I feel also, I get what you're saying. Like, there's decades worth of Tony Stark stories. And you also said, like, you know, in 18 months, he's going to be back as Iron Man. So you're going to have people who are going to check out, uh, you know, everybody's got like a favorite blue beetle people, you know, as great as Jaime Reyes is, there's people who still get excited when Ted Cord comes back, even if Ted Cord is crazy. Uh, like even though Ted Cord had plenty of blue beetle stories, people still get excited when like, Hey, there's going to be new Ted Cord blue beetle stories. You well, know? So, so I would say with Ted Cord, well, yes, there have been Ted Cord blue beetle stories. There haven't been, I can't speak to the quality. I, I ne- having never read them, obviously, Ted Kord is more of a, a obscure niche character who probably how didn't have you. a lot of comics. What? I said, how dare you? <laughs> you know, but I mean, Jamie, Jaime Reyes is also kind of a niche. Like, he's never quite bro- broken out of that ceiling or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, I would say there's a difference between a Blue Beetle and an Iron Man. No, yeah. Iron Man has, a, I mean, you know, has had bajillions of comics, has been very successful. And, and there's also, like, quality modern interpretations, whereas Ted Kord his last defining real moment was being shot in the head. And before uh, that, you know, it was time. basically the justice league international iteration. Yeah. You know, so I, I can, I can definitely see from the, on the, from the reasonable discourse arguments on both sides. Yeah, no, no, I, and I, I, I definitely agree with you there that there are, you know, when, when Bruce Wayne was no longer Batman, you and I did not check out of the Batman stories. And this is coming from a guy who absolutely loves, loves Batman, you know, like people have to be willing to give it a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I do think there is a difference between it feels really natural 
that this is happening and uh, hey, we're going to make this happen because this is what's going to happen right now. Right. But I've always had a problem like it's and it's this kind of thing that's different for everyone, but also really hard to nail down is the difference between something feeling forced and organic. Right. For example, uh, I know like this, there's been a thing in like the new Mass Effect game. It certainly happened at Marvel and DC. And I don't particularly subscribe to these criticisms, but people that are like, you know, this character you know, why do they have to like shove it down? Like, Oh, this character is gay or this character has like a certain, you know, is black or Asian or whatever. Like, why do they have to throw that in our face? You know? Uh, and there's definitely a way to using this, not this in comics, but what I was reading about the latest mass effect game is that there's a trans character in there that basically like introduces you introduces to you as hi, I'm the trans character, <laughs> which obviously while, I can't, I'm not going to say that there aren't people, whether they be trans or not, that sometimes just like introduce themselves as like, hello, I am this. Like, I'm right. basically letting you know that my most important trait is right. my gender am, identity am, or whatever. I am defined by my gender identity, right. I, I, would, I would say that, that like, sure, there's people are out there, um, but maybe like, and just because Mass Effect again takes place like thousands of years in the future or wherever it takes place, like, some people are like, oh, like thousands, I, I love these arguments that are like thousand years in the future, like people, like these kind of, you know, modern issues would be taken care of at that point. You have no idea. We can create faster than light travel and go to different galaxies and still be racist. Um, How dare you. You know, but I can definitely agree that if I was a like a trans person or whatever, and I'm like, oh, the one trans character in this game, and they do something that like, you know, right, I not, would not just walk down the street, introduce myself to someone who might be like transphobic or whatever yeah, and beat me to death. They're not they're not a person, they're a billboard. Right, exactly. So there's but at the same time, that being a very pretty egregious example, but at the same time, like there are people that get upset just because like a character's gonna like you have to um what's what I'm looking for, consciously draw. Like like these things are just these don't these don't things just materialize out of thin air. Like you have to consciously want something. And even when you're creating straight characters or, or, or white characters or whatever, or ma- male characters, you have to say, I want to tell a story about the straight white male. Like he's going to have this female love interest or he's just going to be white because he's white. But there's this argument that feels like characters can't simply be black just because they're black. No, uh, and, but I think, and, and I don't, you know, I don't want to speak for, for everyone here, and and I also do want to say like I'm taking a lot of contrarian stance in this just to make it a more interesting discussion. I really do hope that there are people out there uh, who you know like there are are little girls who look up to like Riri Williams and think like that's super awesome. I want to emulate my life after her. That's super cool. Uh, but there is also times where when in where when someone is like, hey, we're going to replace Iron Man and it's going to be a black woman, like part of me, and you know, I feel bad for thinking this, but part of me, because Marvel is a business, like that felt like a very calculated move. Like what is opposite of Tony Stark? A black woman. Like that That to me felt calculated. I guess, I guess the pro, like the thing that they did that might be with the Riri Williams situation is that she's not called Iron Man. Right. She's called Ironheart. Ironheart. Right. So like, while she's the Iron Man replacement in a way, she was, I mean, she was launched in Invincible Iron Man and then, and then basically took center stage in a book called Invincible Iron Man. So that's where it's like. On one hand, a book called Invincible Iron Man, just on it's it's like the task tactic where they think, and this might potentially work, that people are going to buy a book on name alone. 
So it doesn't yeah. matter that the main character in the, the book is going to be a, a, a young black female character. It's that the book's called Invincible Iron Man. I love Iron Man. I'm going to pick it up. I, um, I I think it may it may help for some people too though if these like because how how long before be- taking over the book was Riri Williams introduced? Like she was introduced like it, technically at the she was mentioned in the first issue of the previous volume and then I think comes appears fully in like the second arc maybe it's been a little while since i read it see like i would have preferred it so much if she was around for a couple years kind of mm-hmm. establishing herself and then like had that transition like i feel like that would have been so much cooler rather than like here's a character whose specific purpose is this you know yeah it's it, it's tough and i feel like people bring their perspectives their emotions to it and i i have found that sometimes when i've gone back and read things from even five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it might be when you're out of the kerfuffle that gets caused from controversy or whatever pops up. A lot of times I end up liking it more right. just because I feel like sometimes I read these things just to be like, what's the big deal when I'm just reading it because it was like, Oh, that came out at some point or like maybe I didn't, or maybe I check out something that kind of overlooked or, or missed whatever the kerfuffle was at the point. I like that word kerfuffle. Yeah. I could tell. Um, you know, it's just sort of like I'm reading this completely not thinking of any countries or anything that could come to it, and it's actually surprisingly good. So I haven't really been reading the really, really, Williams book. I can't speak to the quality, and I'm certainly not subscribing to the people that are like all up in arms about it, but it might be that, you know, five years from now, I might check it out on Marvel Unlimited and read it and be like, wow. I could care less that this is volume 18 of Invincible Iron Man or that the book was called Invincible Iron Man when the main character was a, a female character. Um, the Ultimately, the story was just good. Yeah, and, and um, you know, you got to hope you got to hope the story is good. Sometimes it's not, though. And that, I, I mean, and that's that sucks. and that's where something like the America book that I was really looking forward to was like, I think. I think it's tough because even as white people, and this this is like we're always opening a can of warm, but we're white people. I think we just need to clarify that for people yeah, that I think forget people that we're don't two, know we're, we're two white guys. We're, we're two straight white males, um, so we're like probably the last people that should be talking about this. But there is a condi- a condition, so to speak, of that like that there that white that the straight white male is kind of the default, and everything else is other. So I think that, and I think that in people that and people that. Um, either want to try to be quote unquote authentic to a not to the other um, experience. I'm calling it the other experience. I probably, I don't mean that they are in fact truly others, but um, you know, or people that are of that, you know, experience and are trying to bring that into the work of a character that reflects that sometimes in a way. And I, when I say they're going overboard, it was just more that I'm not trying to step on any toes here. I just went and reading the America book, it, it felt like a book that didn't want me to read it. And this huh. is someone that was totally for the character. It doesn't give two shits that she's like a, uh, a queer, queer Latina, you know, whatever. I don't think she's trans, whatever superhero. Like th- there was aspects of that, that intrigued me that I want to learn more about, but it just, you know, I'm going to move on from the America thing. I'm going to try and recollect my thoughts and maybe come back on, at it another day. Like when I read a yeah. few more of the issues, no, it's, it's fine. We can... it's, it's, there's a there's a lot to unpack. Ultimately, I, regardless of maybe aspects of the execution, I'm gonna just be like I applaud Marvel for trying to be diverse, and I will say that part of David David Gabriel's quote is that diversity is here to stay. You know, there's definitely looks like there's going to be concerted effort of effort, effort 
uh, just F it all, uh, effort to work in some meat and potato elements, but while keeping some of these new, whether they be legacy characters or, or new code names or whatever characters in play. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and I absolutely agree. Diversity is so, 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 so important. Um, and I, I just, I advocate for, uh, for, for it. Absolutely. I, I don't want to say that I don't, um, I, but I also, yeah, I, I feel like everything I say, I'm like, I'm, I'm stepping into a minefield here, but it's like, I, I want it to be very well thought out and feel, uh, very natural and, and instead of in my face, you know, I, I want to not be thinking about the fact that the main character of this book is black. I want to just be enjoying this book. Right. Um, and that's, and this is, and I almost wish like we could, and maybe we could like get someone, I guess, get a, a, a black a person of female. color. We should get a person of color on, on here on to the, talk about it. Well, on the show. That would be great. But just, and obviously like you can always say like, here's the community, whether it be the black community or even the white community, the gay community or anything like that. Right. And obviously no one's person can speak for the whole community. There's so many different perspectives. No, I mean, absolutely. I was, I was reading tweets at work about, you know, people that are, that consider themselves like super religious and conservative, you know, that were still, never mind, whatever. But like people, even within a certain community can have such divergent perspectives within that whole community. So it's, it's, it's finding that line now where we're, we're past the default and the other everyone's included. Everyone should be included. So how do we do it in a way that's still reflective of the fact that we live in a very diverse, though very conflicting world, you know, not as when I say BPO over the head, um, and, and I think coming from a straight male perspective, because we're so used to what's been considered the default, well, we might not have any problems with what's been considered the other when it does get in there and when it kind of makes a point of saying that it like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm a queer Latina or I'm, you know, or I'm black or, or touching on those things because we can't we don't know what it's like to live within that experience, that community, that lifestyle, whatever it might be. Yeah. It's it, it, we can't help that feeling that we're almost being hit in the face. Right. And but I, obviously, as long as we don't turn it into like belligerent racism no, no. And, and, I, and i love and i love books that challenge my worldview that show me a view that i that i may not have known before you know there's there's super awesome stories that are out and doing that um and i and i applaud them and i and i should be reading more of them to be perfectly honest i probably do spend a lot of time in the uh in the straight white male you know sphere of of books uh but uh, I think, you know, I think really indie comics have probably been the best for me in that, where they are, are showing me new stuff all the time. They are showing me different lifestyles. They are showing me different uh, different points of view, and it's super great. And, um, you know, superhero books are a tricky medium because you have people who just want them to be punching bad guys and not use it as a platform to tell bigger stories. But that's kind of always been the point of some of the superheroes, you know? Since day uh, one, since day one, almost. yeah, yeah. And Su Superman wasn't what for all. It, and I, I realize people can take things maybe farther than they should go. But for all the hate that says people quote um, either self-described or referred to as social justice warriors, Superman started out as a social justice warrior. He was all about helping the poor and the disenfranchised. Right. He was created by two bullied Jewish kids. Yeah, two Jew uh, Jewish immigrants, like. You can't escape it, like the social commentary that's almost inherent in some of these characters. Absolutely. The thing is, whereas like, whether it be Superman or even Batman or say Spider-Man, like, uh, or say Captain America, like 
they they are so interesting. If we want them to be the world outside our window, if we want them to be reflective of of our world, like they can't help but touch on these things. And maybe there's a way to do it where it's not a huge smack in the face, you know. But I mean, sometimes it's hard to to go back and look at some old comics that maybe were like super on the nose at the time that maybe are considered more influential today. And also, we act like you know a book that maybe references makes a reference to to Trump either positive or negative or whatever probably negative but you know that they you know like we're saying it's on the nose now but we might be looking back in 15 20 years and being like look at how this book had a commentary on a pretty turbulent times or about a pretty turbulent person like it's just sometimes it's hard to gauge these things when you're living in the moment because we're too close to the situation you know we have a better perspective of what the 80s meant the 90s the 70s whatever you know now that we're out from it and if, if sort of dealt with the repercussions and the changes and whatever. So it, it is, it is tough, but, um, really let's just face it. It has nothing to do with diversity. Marvel, stop it with your constant turning of events. Stop <laughs> slapping number ones on books that stop, stop slapping number ones on books that actually are like number 18. Like, uh, I'm fine. I'm honestly fine with like doing a seasonal approach to stories, but obviously as you were saying, David, inserting an event, into the middle of it and derailing a story and then canceling it probably two issues later isn't very helpful to that book. <sighs> and why do not want to get rid of diversity. And honestly, if you look at the, the DC rebirth, they didn't get rid of diversity either. Like maybe by virtue that they, they did try to like take some of their meat and potato characters who are more traditionally like straight white males or whatever. Uh-huh. Like, but I don't think it was ever on their plate to get away for for too long. Now we have a new Batman book. Hopefully we'll get more books with gay leads or woman leads or non-white leads. Um, but I think Marvel at this point does need to win back a little bit of that trust. And if it means making a more traditional Captain America, Iron Man, whatever, you know, do it without um, marginalizing some of the great efforts and strides they've taken over the last few years to be more representative. Absolutely. Mic drop. Yeah, no, no. I, I think uh, I think we're going to have to call it here, though, just for the sake of time. But I think you and I are on the same page of uh, diversity. Super great. Marvel, your sales are failing because of other reasons. Uh, and everybody should be reading books that challenge their worldview. Uh, due to our discussion going a bit over, we are not going to do recommendations uh, this week. So... I recommend time management. <laughs> Nick is not good at that, so don't take his recommendation. Don't follow the don't follow the Nick Sermuxis method of time management. Uh, it involves a lot of Breath of the Wild, I imagine. When was the last time you played Breath of the Wild? Uh, I played it last weekend. Why am I asking I these questions? I haven't played it this week, but I've been, I, I mostly get to it on the weekend. We have to go. Point. We have to go. Why am I asking questions? Uh, <laughs> thank you, everybody, for listening. And, of course, you know, we talked quite a bit here, but uh, obviously we are two straight white males, and we want to hear from uh, other people that are not us. And if you're a straight white male, also feel free to, to uh, throw your voice into the ring. We don't want to discount that. But we'd love to hear from people of all walks of life your thoughts on anything we talked about in our discussion this week. Uh, and we will read whatever you say on the show as long as it's appropriate. You can find us over at heckyeahcomics.com and send us an email at heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. You can find me around the internet at davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z, on Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram. And you can uh, find Nick. Ah, geez. You know, we've been so mired in heavy discussion, I got nothing. Uh, you can find Nick 
attempting to be diverse. Sure, why not? I knew you were going to go that route. Ah, yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, as always, you can find us here next week. Same heck yeah time, same heck yeah channel. Worst episode ever.